Welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Hellraiser Podcast. I'm Peter and that is Phil. Hello. Hi there. And today we're going to be talking about Hellraiser Deader, Hellraiser 7. And we're going to be comparing the original script, which was nothing to do with Hellraiser, to the finished movie. If you want to join in at home, then we've found the script via Cenobite.com, the Hellbound web, and they've got a library there. And in that, there is the original Deader screenplay, which we're using here. They've also got the Hellraiser Deader screenplay as well, which is slightly different to the film as well, just little subtle differences. But we're going to just be comparing the original script to the finished movie. Who are you? Why did you do this to me? Who I am is no concern of yours. And you may be assured that this is not my handiwork. Ask yourself this, when you stand there, your flesh exposed, paddling in a pool of your own blood, why is it that you feel no pain? So, let's go. First of all, the main difference is the original script is set in America, it's set in New York. So it's all about, it starts in a building on the Lower East Side of Manhattan and it's all about New York and being in Manhattan and it's very much a New York film. Mm. Whereas, as we know, because of budget reasons, they couldn't do that when they made it into the Hellraiser film. So the first thing they did was they changed it to Romania because it was much cheaper to film over there. And the bits in the beginning and the end, the bits that are set in the office of this paper, the magazine, they're set in London because I guess you can make Romania look like London easier than you can make it look like New York. <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. Even though those bits are all set inside anyway. They're just in, in sets. <laughs> in Romanian sets. So we're in New York straight away. I said, I said the main difference is that. The main difference is there's nothing to do with Hellraiser. <laughs> yeah, that's the interesting thing, I guess. Um, reading the original script, I was kind of like, wow. I wonder why this script got written. Because it's just a kind of standard uh, thriller script, but it seems like there's something missing. Uh, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, well, I mean, it's a good script. I like it. But it sort of seems like it's maybe trying to start off a new franchise of its own or something like that. I don't yeah. know. It's got some great ideas in it, but it's got such a... Yeah, it's got this whole mythology that this guy's created. And it's, yeah, you wonder what he wanted to do with it. Mm. But then saying that, um, we will go into this a little bit more later. Um, having read the original script now, I think all the Hellraiser stuff is not a very good addition, even though I like oh, really? Dead of the film. Mm. Right, well, we'll have to discuss that when we get to it. I'm sorry just to come out there with a bold statement. Please do, please do. <laughs> so for those who aren't aware, the original script was written by a guy called Neil Marshall Stevens, and as we just said, it's nothing to do with Hellraiser, it's just about these deaders and this guy called Winter, and Amy Klein is the same character... A lot of it is very similar. We'll say that now. A lot of it's very oh, yeah. similar, especially the first two thirds of the script is more or less the same. It's pretty much exactly the same, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, as we'll go through now. So it begins with Amy Klein in the office of this newspaper, this newspaper called The Underground. So in the, in the film, they change it to The London Underground. <laughs> very good. So it says a weekly newspaper in the village voice mode, only scuzzier. So that's nice. And you've got Amy Klein, who's the same character as in the film. Still great. She's a bit more gothy in the original script. She's all she's really pale, and she wears these dark glasses for the whole time. In yeah, fact, she's, she's always got her sunglasses. She's always got she? her sunglasses on. They make a 
couple of gags about that, really. Yeah, but it's pretty much the same character. It's got the same things in it with the yeah. um, how to be a crack whore yep. uh, article. Yeah, she, I mean, she hasn't really changed the character, mm-hmm. which is nice because I think she's really well written. I quite like her. Yeah. Then one major thing is in the film, she meets her editor, Charles, who gives her this, this job to do. And in the script, the character of Charles is actually two characters. There's Bud and there's Larry. And in the script, you've got Bud, who's the one who's saying, hey, you need to check this out, check this out, what's, what's going to happen? You need to go and find out what's happening here. And Larry's one who's going, no, nah, it's, it's bollocks. It's, it's bullshit. No, this isn't real. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. No, it's not real. Mm-hmm. So they're sort of both sides of a conflicting personality, which, which kind of, they just made into one for Charles. And they made Charles this character who's just, we need to find out what's, what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but these characters are pretty much the same. I mean, Bud is... He has a quite a sort of flowery way of speaking, you know. He's, yeah. He's a, a similar character to the one they got in the film. He is. He's quite similar to Charles, yeah. And Larry just sort of got cut. Poor Larry. Poor old Larry. God. Larry. <laughs> Larry. <laughs> yeah, it's not very good for people named Larry in these... Do you, that, do you think that was... Uh, oh, no, it wouldn't have been. No, because it? it's oh not a God. Hellraiser film. People just... Horror writers just like the name Larry. It's a great name. It's a great name. So this, the beginning's the same. They have this video. Remember videos? I know it's all big tapes, isn't it? They're like oh, put a tape in the machine. <laughs> I know, which is weird because it was it was made in in two thousand five. So maybe they just thought DVDs would ever catch on. <laughs> They're going to go back to videos. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Anyway, um, so they find this video. They watch it, and it's that's pretty much the same. You've got Marla, who's the official Deader archivist. She says, and you've got this deader ritual being being done on screen. The difference here is, in the film, you only ever really see Winter being the one who brings a deader back to life. Mm. Whereas in the script, it's very different. You've got your own guide, and your guide is the one who injures you in the first place and helps you become a deader, and then breathes into whatever they do to bring you back to life. So in this video, for example, you've got a girl called Sheila, who is renamed Katia in the film, I guess to make it sound a bit more Romanian, mm-hmm. which is a bit foreign. So you've got Sheila, who's doing the whole, my skin isn't real, my eyes aren't real, my muscles aren't real, and all that sort of stuff. Then she shoots herself in the head, exactly the same as in the film. And then, although she's naked, in fact, there's a lot more nudity in the original script, I noticed. Mm. Mm. So for example, well, she's... that's how you sell a script. That's a good point. <laughs> she's completely naked. She blows her head off being naked and then instead of winter getting on top of her it's a guy called carl who is her guide and he takes his clothes off as well gets on top of her and starts breathing into her and doing all this breathy 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 thing and it makes it quite specific that it isn't a sexual thing and then she twitches and she's awake again yeah so that's all the same and then she's fiddling with her head wound and going oh this is a bit weird and amy's going have you called the police on this this is really weird then it cuts back to Amy, you know, what the fuck? And Larry going, it's rubbish, waste of time. And Bud going, yeah, Larry doesn't find any of this at all intriguing. And they basically say to Amy, do you want to go and find out what happened here? And Amy says, yes. Yeah, so it's all pretty much the same at this point. Yeah, the only difference is they've got a return address on the envelope that they got the video in. And the return address on the script is a Lower East Side tenement block. And in the film, it's in book arrest. <laughs> <laughs> So that's when she goes to Romania, and then the rest of the film's in Romania. Mm-hmm. But in this one, as we're still in New York, she goes to Marla's apartment, and this is all the same, pretty much. Yep. 
goes to Marla's apartment. I mean, the main difference is, is Marla in... Actually, the original script and the Hellraiser script is a Chinese girl called Marla Chen. And they, the only real reason I can see to do that is when she gets to the apartment, says the super, oh, is Marla here? I'm her sister. And he says, you don't look Chinese. Mm. And she goes, oh, yeah, no, actually, we're friends. But they cut that when they recast, when they cast Marla as, as um, someone who's not Chinese. <laughs> Makes sense. So this is all the same. I mean, it stinks in the apartment. She finds Marla. She's her neck's tied up to the bathroom cistern. Yeah, I mean, a small detail here is the super of the building is a bit nicer. Oh, that's true, yeah. And he's, he's got a much bigger part as well. Mm, he's, he's much neater, nicer in the script. And he keeps going on about how he's a religious man. Yeah, that's kind of comes in later, doesn't it? Mm. It's one of those lines. Um, but yeah, just for some for whatever reason in the film, they decided to make him like a horrible man to sort of up the tension a bit. Well, I know that I know that when they filmed it, the guy who actually played the uh, the super guy in in Romania, he couldn't speak much English at all, and they dubbed over his lines mm-hmm. because you couldn't understand what he was saying. All right, fair enough. So maybe I mean they could have done <laughs> it because have... of the actor. You never know. Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, it works quite well. Just this fat, horrible, scrubbly man with a moustache and beard and cigar. Well, this I mean, this is a good example of of how it can work both ways because I guess in the film it's it's more tense with the guy yeah, kind of being so. like that. But then in the script, I do like the way that the guy, the super in the script, is sort of going, "Oh, why didn't I come up here?" You know, when they find the body, yeah. he's like, "Why didn't I come up here? Why didn't yeah. I? I just I just wanted to leave her alone." And you know, and he feels really conflicted about doing that. And I think that's quite an interesting situation because yeah, I, obviously I didn't like want to break into the flat, and he obviously knew that something bit bad had yeah. happened but just thought I'll just leave it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, well it's not his job you know he's just he's got all these people living in the apartment and he just lets them get on with whatever they want to do and lets them get on with rotting away yeah he just lets them rot away <laughs> so interesting both ways there yeah so Marla's dead the same way well she's not but you know what I mean she's tied up to the her neck to the wall and the difference here is Amy actually tells the super that she's dead and then goes back into the apartment mm and then finds Marla's bits and pieces before she leaves properly. Mm-hmm. And there's this, there's actually a really good bit where it, it's quite evocative in the script, which they didn't quite do in the film. But she, instead of just finding her dead body and then leaning over it and do the whole, you know, is she going to wake up? Is she going to grab me? Is she going to grab me? No, she's not. Oh, yes, she is. Which is really good in the film. Oh, yeah. You've got this sort of little scratchy noise. It's quite written quite well in the script. There's a scratchy noise and then the flies buzz. And then suddenly again, then there's a scratchy noise and the flies buzz again. And it turns out it's her fingernails on the floor, just sort of twitching and scratching the floor. Mm. Which is a shame they didn't have that in the film in some respects, especially because it'd be really cheap to do. Yeah, although that, that says she's still alive. Whereas if you just have her dead, then the jump is, is better, I think. Uh, yeah, but I, I guess I think when you watch it, you know that she's going to move. I mean, yeah. we all knew. That well, she was yeah, I know, move. yeah. But like, I think if you could have, you could have played it when she was in the other room, maybe looking for stuff. If you had the flies go bzz, and then mm. settle again. Well, you do hear the flies in the film. It's just not as as obvious. I mean, she hears the flies, then she goes into the bathroom, and then she finds her. Mm. And the other difference, of course, here is the puzzle box. In the original script, she just grabs the a video in a bag. Mm. She takes the thick envelope with the tape inside it, and that's that's the same. But then in the film, of course, she drops it and then happens to see that Marla's clutching this puzzle box, so grabs that as well. And in the film and the script, she goes through Marla's stuff and she finds this record of another deader party and she puts it all in her bag and and just steals it all and takes away. Uh, Another difference is the knife. 
in the script, she finds like a stiletto blade mm. that comes into play later on. And in the film, she just sees a big kitchen knife, mm. which doesn't work as well. We'll get to that later on. I'll explain what I mean then later on. So she runs out of the apartment. It's all the same here. She falls over and she hurts herself as she's leaving. And the super's like, are you all right? And she's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I'll be back in a minute. And she runs off. So then she goes to her apartment. Well, in the script, she goes to her apartment. In the film, she goes to her hotel room. And she watches this tape, the tape of Marla, on the tape, talking. So the main, another huge difference here is, on the, in the original script, it's not really clear that Marla is talking to Amy here. It could be a tape left for anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do find out later that Marla is actually Amy's guide and is going to bring her into the deader cult. But in the film, it's very much like this is for Amy because Amy's the one Winter needs to open the box. Mm. So it's almost like it's been orchestrated, pre-planned. Well, exactly. But Marla here is talking about... He's talking about this guy called Bobby. I don't know. I don't want to end up like Bobby. He's gone. He can't get back anymore. And he's lost. And you think, oh, it's interesting. Mm. And remember that for later. I will. Boys and girls. And so in the, in the script... It's very much like this This bad thing's happening and there you go, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the film, it's like, don't open the box. He needs you to open the box, but don't do it. And then obviously she looks at the box and she opens it and then Pinhead turns up very briefly. Yeah, which is the beginning of the stuff that now that I've read the original script, minus that, I'm kind of going, oh, the Hellraiser stuff. Because this is the part where for me, it's sort of, when you read the original script and you see the sort of clarity of what was going on, mm. moving towards a conclusion. The Hellraiser stuff is a little bit kind of like confusing and it does seem a little bit like they're just going, well, we could put Pinhead in here. Well, that's what they did. <laughs> I know, exactly. But I mean, it um, comes across like that rather than... I, I, I guess when I read the original script, I thought to myself, oh, I wonder what I would write if someone gave me this script and mm. said, right, we want this to be about Hellraiser. And what they put in, I think, is is a, is not very strong. Okay. It's still a great, good film, absolutely. Mm. But then when you look at the two component pieces, I feel like the Hellraiser additions are just a, a, bit, a bit kind of like, yeah, they're okay, but they're not great. I think when we get... I mean, I, I don't mind it at the moment. I think when we get to the like, near the end and they actually try and get the whole mythologies together, then I agree with you there. I don't mm. think it quite works properly there. But th- this bit, I mean, watching the film, this is very much a case of Pinhead tiny cameo and you worry for a moment, those who have seen the other films, you worry this is going to be like another Inferno moment and then there's barely in it. That's it, yeah. It just says, don't think for a second you're not in danger and then disappears again. Mm. But I don't, mind, I don't mind this too much, the box, and the box is there, and I like the way that she opens it, as in Marla says, don't open it, and then she goes, open it, how can, you, how can I open it? And then she just fiddles with it and it opens. Mm. Yeah, no, that is good. And I like the, you know, the stuff with the chains and stuff here. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like that too. It's a good addition. Oh, another big difference here is, in the video, Marla tells Amy about Joey. She tells her how to go and find this subway train. Yeah. And to go and visit Joey and speak to him about it. And in the script, the original script, that doesn't happen. In the original script, Amy knows Joey already. Yeah, I mean, they've got a history and... Yeah. You know, it's all very much... He doesn't like her, does he? I mean, he doesn't even want to talk to her. No. A nice little bit here as well is Amy, in the script, original script, Amy finds Marla's phone number 
and phones her just to see if there if she was alive or dead, and she just hears a horrible. Yeah, <laughs> and that's quite nasty. Yeah, that kind of repeats a couple of times. Doesn't yeah, it, in the film? that's fun. Quite good. So she goes to the train. She meets Joey on the train. In the original script, there's only one Joey scene, and it's this one here. And in the film, as you know, she goes back a couple of times to the train. In the script version here, it the train seems a lot more silly to me. Yeah. Because they kind of have to... Well, for a start off, it's in New York. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So and it just seems who, a lot more kind yeah, of... Because surely it's a really busy subway <laughs> It just seems system. sort of uh, a lot more, uh, yeah, like it's not going to happen. And also they have this thing of, like, everybody in the car, the guy goes here we go when they're coming into a station and everybody oh, yeah. in the car puts Put newspaper over against the window. The window yeah. And you're like, well, if everyone's like off their face on drugs and like having sex, they're just going to say, hang on a minute. Hang on, I'm just going to pause. Or do they have specific Stop. people who do that? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. It just seems a little bit more um, silly here. I mean, that's the good edition of Romania because it has that kind of feel of like anything could happen and there's sort of yeah. more dodgy things going on you know yeah we don't want to offend anyone who lives in Romania here no no I mean it's a <laughs> but good you do, thing especially for it's a more mysterious thing for um, you know a, an American and an English audience it's that whole thing of you don't know anything about this city so anything could happen there yeah it's which very, is why it's very mysterious. The, quite like the hostel films work because mm. you think anything could happen over there uh, just yeah, just really highlights the ridiculousness of the train uh, when it's going through. Yeah, New and something York. that they cut from the script, which I'm glad they cut, is this whole Joey having a blowjob, and they make a lot of that. <sighs> yeah, why, why? <laughs> well, I'm not really sure actually. You, I mean, as you mentioned, it's same as um, Hellworld. Oh yeah, have another blowjob scene in that where the guy is really like, I wouldn't give oh, yeah. oral sex to a woman. And exactly the same thing has happened in this script. That's weird, isn't it? Which is so bizarre. Unless maybe Rick Bota read it in this original script and then cut it out and then thought, I know, I can put that into my next film. Why? <laughs> well, I don't, obviously Rick Bota isn't a big fan of going down on ladies. Well, Rick. Rick, come on, man. Let's not get into this now. We're getting sidetracked. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So anyway, there's this whole blowjob going on. <laughs> Which, the, my, my problem is, they're talking, he has a blowjob for the whole scene... And then they're having a chat, and then he's like, what do you think the deaders do? And Amy says, I think they bring the dead... And he, hang on, hold on, hold on, I'm coming. <laughs> and then he has an <laughs> orgasm, and then he's like, okay, I'm done. Bye-bye to the girl. The girl gets up, Joey tucks himself away. Girl, you taste funny. Joey, I am funny. And then he carries on, and they carry on the scene. Yeah, well, you know what they're going for, obviously. I mean, it's kind of what they did in the film. Yeah, it's, you know, quite, it's quite amusing. But it's it's I don't know I wouldn't I wouldn't have that in it if I was writing it. <laughs> yeah, I think you're doing. You could have him doing something else to sort of give the same feeling of like he's a decadent well, weirdo. They do that in the in the film, don't they? Just by him having these two ladies with each other. Mm. Mm. Anyway, it, the same thing happens in both film and script, where he tells her where to go. There's this big house, and this is where the deaders chill out, and that's where you should go if you want to find out what's going on. And she gets off, and exactly the same in both of them. She sees Winter on the platform. He leaps in front of the train and supposedly gets flattened by it. So she calls the authorities. They can't find anybody. She sees Winter again and gets grabbed by the police mm. and taken to the police station. Mm-hmm. I think they make a joke about her sunglasses here in the script. Yeah, that's quite funny, that. <laughs> she's, they slam her to the floor to arrest her because she's freaking out. And she says, where the hell are my sunglasses? And the cop says, it's fucking night, you bint. <laughs> you like quite like Which that. Which is <laughs> slightly funny. odd, but yeah, there you go. 
And then the next scene's the same in the police station, although the main difference is Charles has come all the way to Romania. And Amy says, at least you got to travel. And he's bailing her out. And then they have the same conversation about knowledge is like hunger and you're a glutton, you're kind of overeating, but I want to, you know, find out all the information through you. So you eat and I don't get the mental indigestion sort of thing. And that's that's quite nice. I quite like that. And he basically tells her to go home and, and chill out. So she says, yep, yeah, will do. Mm-hmm. And then gets straight in a cab and goes to this house she's not supposed to go to. Mm-hmm. And this is all quite similar as well. Although a difference is in the packet that she got from Marla in the film, she gets a little key that can open the padlock into this place. And in the original script, she doesn't have any of that. She just breaks in. Yeah, the original script is much more like she is forcing her way into the debtors' lives, whereas you say in well, the, the film... Yeah, the script is, is, is much more like a, a detective story. Yeah. She's actually having to do all this stuff herself. Well, the film is as well, but it's more that she doesn't realise that they want her to come. Yes. Even yes. though that does play into the original script as well, they do want her Yeah. involved. But it's much more off her own back in the original script. Yes, I agree. And then they have the same scene where the corridor gets narrower and narrower and narrower and she gets stuck. Now, this is weird because when I saw this scene in the film, it seemed that seemed to me like something that you would just stick in to a script to make it a bit more exciting. (laughs) Like, you know, that she's going into this place and they're like, well, we could do this thing with the walls where she gets a bit stuck and there's some, we'll do some CG cockroaches. But it's all there in the original (laughs) script. It's all there. Yeah, it's all there. It's even more so in the original script, I think. Yeah, it's true. Because the tunnel squeezes her like both ways, isn't it? Like she tries to go in and then she's like, oh, it's too small and goes back and it's even worse. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But it has the cockroaches and everything. Yeah. It has the rubbery cockroaches and everything. (laughs) And then she gets inside the building, she sees all the deaders. Big difference here is, in the film, you actually she comes in to see Winter finishing up another one of these rituals and bringing someone else back to life. Whereas in the script, she just sees a couple of people who look a bit weird and their faces are kind of demonic and then turning back into human faces. And someone goes, yeah, go and see Winter. And she goes into a room and there's Winter in his room. And that scene is in the film as well. It's just after Winter brings someone back to life, they then go to his room and they have a chat there. Mm-hmm. So here they have a little chat about... Amy Klein wants to join us. Oh, yeah. What did you do? What did you find? And all this sort of stuff. And then, But in the film, he does mention about, you know, the box as well. Mm. And he's, he's talking about how it's his family heirloom and it's rightfully his. The box and all its powers belong to me, he says. Yeah, and in the, I like him better in the original script because I think he, he is just what he is. He's, he's the leader of this cult. Yeah. And he does just believe that nothing's real, you know, yeah, yeah. and he's harnessed that power. Yeah, I like that. And yeah, he's quite straightforward. He's not sort of particularly saying, come on, join us. He's saying, if you want to, you can. It's yeah. all up to you. All the power's in you to do it. And that is a big thing of the whole script, actually. It's all about whatever you want. Like, and she, later on, she actually does things. She makes things happen by, you know, and it's all to do with this is what you wanted to happen. Mm. So that's quite, that's quite good. I like well, they, that. I mean, he says that, doesn't he, about the... the squeezing walls yeah he exactly. says you you yeah. can't you you wanted a struggle before you find that's it. Right. he made it harder yeah. you could you know he was implying that you could have just walked through the door and come in yeah she's like it's a bit weird to get in here isn't it and he says well everyone gets in how they want to get in <laughs> i think i'd go in a water slide <laughs> so that's a big difference and you've got of course you've got the whole box and starting to get the idea that winter is a descendant of le marchand or is he that's what it says. That's what they're implying. And as we know, this is a bit muddy in the film, but 
Yeah, and this is what I mean about the additions. I think it's a little bit too spare in the film. Like, I mean, the the addition of the box, I think, weakens his character when you read his character originally. Because he's he's sort of going, oh, I want the power of the box. Yeah, well, in the film, it's all about him wanting to open the box so that every, all the deaders can have this immense pleasure. Mm. Whereas in the script, he's just, hey, do you want to come and join my cult? It's good fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a bit more interesting in the script. Um, and the whole thing of him being sort of a descendant of Le Marchand, I quite like that idea. But again, it's it's too sort of mm. downplayed in the film. Well, they don't explore it enough, I don't think. But they haven't. The yeah, they just it doesn't seem to have time to stick any bits in. About no. it. But he's got some great lines in the in the script which they didn't use. Things like Amy starts to have a go at him, and he says, "Please don't raise your voice at me. I don't like being yelled at." And she says, "I'm sorry." He's obviously a very charismatic person, and she actually almost enjoys talking to him. Yeah, I mean that comes across definitely. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't really like his character, but mm-hmm. he's interesting. And the, he actually explains a lot more the whole concept around this, you yeah. know, you are not real and what is real and how can this be this? And if you think you're dead, you're dead. If you think you're alive, you're alive, etc. Yeah. He's a no-nonsense, no-shit guy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a great line there as well where he says, um, maybe that's how you'll end up, hanging forever by a bootlace in a toilet, wanting to be dead but not quite being able to pull it off. Yeah, so which you, is what, I mean, we had that earlier, we didn't bring it, come into that, but that Marla does talk a lot about how she tried to kill herself. And Well, this is the thing. I mean, this is the more interesting thing of the original script is that Marla wants to die, Yeah, but she can't she actually can't do, it. do that. She can't sort of phase into dying and she can't be alive either. So she's kind of stuck because she yeah. hasn't got the force of will to imagine one or the other. Yeah. And now there's a huge difference between the film and the script because in the film, Amy all of a sudden is lying down on the dead slab and they've got the knife and they're all tormenting her and then she wakes up in the bathroom, Mm. in the bath. In the script, Winter's talking about how nothing is real and then he says, close your eyes and then she feels something wet on her fingers, on her hand and she says, it's like a mouth, feels like something's sucking on my fingers and she opens her eyes and the table that they're sat at has grown a mouth and is sucking on her fingers Mm. (laughs) and the table curls round and turns into a person it turns into gets tiny baby feet from the from the legs and there's a got a baby's face comes out of it and it changes it grows older and it basically turns into sheila the girl from the original video who got turned to deader in the video mm. who becomes Katia in the in the film naked again naked again yeah table table Sheila table Sheila naked table Sheila and this is a bit weird now this <laughs> did you say and this is a bit weird <laughs> <laughs> yes I do alright uh, okay there's something slightly strange about this well what is it <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad they didn't do that they did not have the budget to do that special effect. No. There's no way. But the, the thing is, I mean, we mentioned this actually in our original Deader podcast. You said, I think, you said, you don't even know why he wrote that in the script because there's no way you can film that well. Especially on the... the he must be... He must have known the budget that he would get for this script or that someone would get to it. It's not going to be a, 
150 million dollar movie oh absolutely and and the only thing because i know i think you know people i don't know how many scripts this guy's written but i know that sometimes they're written for specific reasons like this guy probably wrote this as a bare bones thing yeah. thinking maybe we can do something else with it possibly thinking maybe it was going to be turned into a different film yeah um uh, but the the more that i thought about it because you know we said that stan winston Yes, his, his production company, yeah. The more that I thought, maybe this guy wrote that in, thinking, I'm just going to write down exactly what I think should oh, happen Oh, yeah, I suppose so. Balls out. And then someone like Stan Winston might read it and point. think, do you know what, I really fancy having a crack at that. Yeah. I, have, I fancy having a crack at making a table person. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's the way that you, know, you can point, get actually. people's interest. It's similar to the, to the Bloodline script. You know, someone wrote about this dog running along the walls and running in the ceiling and chasing everyone, a big horror dog. Mm. And instead of thinking, I don't think we can do that, let's cut it, they decided to film it and didn't do it very well. Yeah. And in this one, they idea. thought, can we lose the baby table? Yeah. <laughs> can we lose the baby table? Which you can, completely. Um, also here, we've got another strange thing, where he he kind of <laughs> leaps forwards to protect sort of um, Amy from this table woman who's to attack her it's all a bit weird um but it says he he leaps forward and lands sort of on the front limbs of a white tiger his face drawn back cat-like so he kind of sort of morphs into a white tiger yeah and then beats off sheila into the darkness and then says close your eyes to amy and then she wakes up in a bathroom well no the difference is she doesn't actually wake up in the bath she actually gets thrown he, he flings her across the room and she smashes through a vertical plane of safety glass and lands in a bath and then says, oh, it's not real. Yeah, but and, and, real. and this is good because this um, is quite like, um, uh, I think, like a Freddy Krueger situation where you're in a fantasy and you, you smash through a glass window and yeah. then you're like, douche, in your own bath, wake up, oh, I'm and at home. And there's glass. You know, I'm there, there's glass and you're kind of a bit confused as to how they blurred into each other. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all very unusual. And then there's a phone call. She makes a phone call to Larry in the script. And this this was cut as well from the film. It is in the original script, the the Hellraiser dead script. She does phone Charles and have a chat with him. But that got cut from the film. Mm-hmm. But here in the film, she's having the dream about her dad and all the stuff. I mean, this isn't in the script at all. The stuff about her dad abusing her when she was a kid, that's completely made for the for the new Hellraiser version. Yeah. And this is the the bit where you see this the most up till now in the film is she has this dream about her dad and then she wakes up and gets a knife in her back. I don't and I don't miss all that in the script in the original script. No, I don't. I it always felt a bit weird to me in the film. It felt a bit unnecessary. I liked the I really like the bit where you know in her in her mind she she stabbed her dad and then she's actually stabbed and she falls back and her dad falls back at the same time. A bit later on in the hospital, I like that bit. Yeah, but I could I could live without the dad subplot yeah I mean the, and especially when Pinhead says your father's with us too Amy and it's like oh for god's sake yeah exactly well, that goes back to that thing that we're sort of not quite enjoying of hell being for sinners and you know well, all that kind yeah. of stuff but um, they make much more of a case in the film where it's like Amy is a bit damaged and a bit kind of like you know she's into the scuzzier things in life she's mm. a bit she's a bit crazy and that's the justification for it Whereas in the script, she's just a bit crazy. She just likes looking into things yeah. that are a bit weird. And I, I like that better. It's I like more it interesting. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't have to have something horrible happen to her to be just like one of those people who just likes the darker side of life. No, I agree. I agree. This isn't for your eyes. 
It's for your ears. So now you she gets stabbed in the dark and she goes into the bathroom and this scene is the same, except the knife is different. In the original script, it's the stiletto blade that she saw in Marla's apartment, which makes it really clear that... This is what I was going to say earlier on. It makes it really clear that it was Marla who stabbed her. Whereas in the film, it's a kitchen knife, which, to be fair, anyone could have. For sure, yes. Because, I mean, when I first saw the film, I mean, I'm a bit dense when it comes to films and getting things. When I first saw it, I didn't go, oh, that's the knife from Marla's apartment. So therefore it was Marla. I just thought she's got a knife in her back. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, The one thing I will say is that when you think about what a stiletto blade looks like and what a kitchen knife looks like mm. i think the kitchen knife looks loads better well the, yeah i agree because well also because a kitchen knife is something that anyone has so you can all imagine that yeah and it just yeah the the look of it and everyone oh, yeah everyone's great. held one exactly, you know you yeah. really you really oh and it's so big you know mm. oh it's great and the the bit of the tip of the knife sticking in between her breasts oh, is all in the original script horrible. and that's brilliant and that's all so that's all the same that scene is is just the same which is wonderful. And as I said before, in my opinion, it's the best scene in any Hellraiser film from three onwards. Well, from four onwards. <laughs> um, great scene, great scene. And here's a little fun bit. At the end of that, there's a, a glass that's been smashed on the floor. First of all, she gets the knife out of her back using a pronged fork, like one you use in a barbecue. Yeah. And by prizing it out, and that's quite good. Whereas in the... In, oh, God. In the <laughs> it's making me feel weird thinking about good. it. Good. That means it's working. Yeah, it's a good But scene. in the film, of course, she traps the, the handle in a cupboard and then pulls it out. Ooh. Oh, it's great stuff. Yeah. And in the original script, you've got all these glass shards on the floor, broken glass, and she sees Marla's face in the glass, reflected in the glass shards. And I think mm. that's great. That's yeah. really good fun. Yeah. Whereas in the film, this is another pinhead moment. Well, I will just say this. Looking at the original Hellraiser Deader script, there's a bit here that wasn't filmed, where Pinhead, when he first turns up, he's reading a book. He's reading Walt Whitman book, and he's reading it out loud when he first turns up, and she's like, what the hell's going on? And he closes it and says, Walt Whitman, I like your taste in books. <laughs> and it's fun. <laughs> but apparently, I think, it was, I think it was this one where Doug Bradley actually was allowed to change some of the lines and make them a bit more, a bit more Pinhead, as it mm. were. Which I know something that Rick Boater did let him do a couple of occasions, and, and that's good. I'm glad he did that, because mm. Doug Bradley knows this character inside out, and a lot of writers don't know what to do with him. Absolutely. So you've got this scene where Pinhead turns up, and this is the whole the bit where he's saying, you know, you opened a door, he pulled you through the door, but you've got to get out of it. The only way to get out is through me, and this is a bit where it all gets a little confusing. Yeah, this is all the stuff that I'm kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, in the original script, you know, the fact that she's sort of being haunted by her guide hmm. you know that she's sort of going that I'm not as invested in because the whole mythology of the deaders and their guides and stuff yeah. is completely new so I'm just kind of like alright what she needs a guide what's going on okay that's and fine and you haven't even really found that properly out yet absolutely so so that I'm not as invested in no and I'm also not that invested in Pinhead going I am a door and you are a door and then we go through this other door but you've got to come back through this door first and wipe your feet before you go through it <laughs> so neither one really works properly for me no I mean if, if when you sit and look at it, it you can make it make sense the whole thing of Winter wants to open the box but he needs a deader to open the box and you're the only person he's found that is Willing to become a deader, he thinks, and also has the right mentality to open this box. But again, you don't find that out till later on. That's when Marla's talking to her in the hospital. 
It's weird, isn't it? Because the, the setup for this film is really good, and actually, out of all of them, uh, the sort of sequels, the new sequels, um, this one should have just been really straightforward. I think. I feel like yeah. if Pinhead was saying to her, "There is, you know, there are people trying to usurp me. There's people trying to get involved in my power and stuff like that." You know, obviously in a good way. Yeah. And Winter was going, "I want a slice of this. I want a bit of that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to become more powerful than him." You know, so it was maybe more like Lord of Illusions type situation yeah it would have been even better i think i think so yeah especially because you've got that line here with pinhead saying you've been recruited as a soldier in another man's war you think yeah. oh there's gonna be a big war between the cenobites and the deaders absolutely i mean if this was the obviously you can't show that in the film but if this was the beginning of that that you were seeing you know the start of a human being trying to get one over on a cenobite and the cenobite going i don't think so and then both kind of manipulating humans in between I think that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So here it becomes very different. In the film, she goes back to the train, she talks to Joey again, then it turns into a big Cenobite train, and then she meets Marla, Mm -hmm. and has a bit of a chat with Marla, and then she wakes up in the hospital. In the original script, she actually goes back to Marla's apartment. She finds Marla there. She helps her get this cord out of her neck. Mm. This bit's great. Mm. She's she's not attached to the wall anymore, but the cord has embedded itself into her neck. It's been there so long, so Amy helps her by cutting it out. Yeah. Cutting it off with a knife. Mm-hmm. That's great. You know, she's saying, no, no, bend your head down. Come on, let's do this properly. I'll just cut this there. And, yeah. and Marla's like, thank you. <laughs> and then they have a little chat about, this is the whole, the guide thing. Now, this is hugely different. There's a whole massive section here in the script which is nothing to do with with Hellraiser and isn't in the film Marla's talking to Amy for ages about this being a guide thing and she's and this is really well written I think because she's she doesn't really say it's not all exposition it's not like this is what happens this is a guide and that happens there it's like Mm. well I'm not really sure this is kind of how it works and I can't really explain it properly but it's sort of a bit like this and that's great meanwhile Amy's going can you just I'm bleeding to death here and she's like, no, you're not. You can't die. Don't worry about it. And then she's like, I'm just, I'm bleeding all over Manhattan. Mm. This is not good. Mm. And this is great. I really like this scene. Yeah. So this is this is Marla sort of showing Amy how she's failed. Yeah. She because she couldn't she couldn't hold it all in her head. She couldn't have the force of will to to die or live or be in the middle. And this starts to crack now. Well, in a physical way, you say, yeah, exactly. This is where the cracking starts. Now, those who haven't read the script yet, this is something that um, isn't in the film. This is the main, the main pushing point of the last third of the film, really. Uh, you know, the original script's version of the film. There's a crack in reality, basically, mm. and through it, you can see sort of a daylight version of the world. Mm. And it turns out, I mean, just to make this very simple, and it goes to this quite complex in the script it turns out there are two versions of reality there's the light side and the dark side the dark side is the nighttime side where you are you know you're a deader mm. if you're a deader then you are that's where you look all dead and you're horrible and in the light time side you know you kind of you can look human or you mm. can look alive again mm-hmm. but as marla points out in the light time side if you've got a, a wound in your heart you're not going to last very long yeah, yeah. So she has to stay in the dark, and so basically, there's a, there's a, actually a really good bit, and it depends how well this was filmed, obviously. But there's lots of these cracks appearing, and you know, light is shining through, and it's the daytime side of things. And they, Marla and Amy, have to sort of bend underneath the cracks so they don't get into the light time world. 
I quite like that. But yeah. I can see how if it wasn't done very well, it would look a bit silly yeah, in a it film. Would look rubbish. But yeah, so basically, I mean, it's been done in a lot of other things. The basic idea of the, the nighttime world where everything's dead and rotted and things can be dead and alive, and the light world that you know is light. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of done a little bit in the first Pirates of the Caribbean film a bit. I mean, there's a it, bit it's later. It's done on. in loads of things. There's loads bit, of things. Yeah. Loads of things which I can't think of. Hey, look. We'll put, but Phil knows. We'll put them up on the website. Hey, look, everyone. Phil knows a lot more than I do about stuff, so <laughs> that's all you need to know. <laughs> and it's fun because she takes her out of the apartment, and as they're going out, they go past the super, talking to a policeman. The super's, you know, going, I'm a religious man, and he's still doing his, his thing. Yeah, yeah. And the policeman's saying, did you actually see a body? And it's almost like they can't quite hear what they're saying because it's going in and out of reality. Yeah, so Marla explains all of that. Yeah. And it's fun that Amy now says then, why are you so anxious to leave this nighttime world? Is it you want to be dead? And Marla's like, there's no version of me that makes sense in their world anymore. I can't fit in. And actually, she's gone even too far past it. Yeah, she's just completely stuck in limbo now. Yeah. And Amy keeps going on and on about how she's bleeding and she wants to stop bleeding. And Marla kind of half says, well, okay, well, you need to do something about that, don't you? And Amy's like, well, what do you mean? So don't worry, let's just see where we're going. Let's where we're we going now then. And they end up in this restaurant. It's, it's like a Chinese restaurant. And all the chefs are weird and they've got sort of deader faces. They're kind of like zombie chefs. And there's a busboy whose face is bleeding and they're all chasing her. And this becomes like a proper horror chase scene. This is really cool, this scene. Yeah, this is great. It's and it, horrible. This is a real, you know, horror moment where there's all these horrible creatures coming after her and there's dead cats. Yeah, yeah. Eaten. There's like a soup bowl with a woman's face in it. This is great. And if you don't, if you don't want to read the whole script, I would advise you just to read this scene because it's really good fun. It's really frightening. I don't know why. I sometimes find kitchens frightening. <laughs> I've seen them in things before. Yeah. And you sort of, you know, big meat cleavers and kind of horrible, yeah. big fat kitchen man going and all this. I, I don't know why there's something frightening about it, but big it is. Big fat kitchen man. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what the character would be called if I wrote a script and that was in it. Fat kitchen Cenobite. Big fat kitchen man. <laughs> and basically they find her, they catch her, and they put her on a meat hook, like in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and they hang her upside down, cut her throat, and bleed her into a bowl. Yeah, and this is awful. I mean, you know, the way it's described... I must say, at this point, actually, the script has got really good and evocative descriptions of everything yeah. that happens in it. It's yeah. really well written. Um, and this bit, the, the horror of just not being able to do anything, and then this blade just comes across your throat, and you're yeah. like, oh! And then you're just hanging there going, oh, 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 as you're bleeding out into a bowl. And this Chinese um, chef, big fat kitchen man, yeah. is absolutely... You know, he, treat, yeah. he it says he treats her just like a goose you know like yeah. a duck there's no and it's great and you're thinking why is this happening this is really horrible and then Marla turns up after a while and says okay I think we're making progress Amy says what, 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 what do you mean Marla says you wanted the bleeding to stop it stopped I mean it's kind of a weird way to do it and he was like oh fucking hell no mm. way and so it, it, this is like you know Marla's basically saying you wanted the bleeding to stop and you have created all of this for that to happen but because you're you know still railing against this idea it's become it's really horrible and yeah a big yeah, challenge that's, that's her um... so then Marla and Amy have this argument about whether everything's real or not and if who's going crazy it's all crazy he cut my throat you stabbed me this is not real Marla's saying stop saying that she's saying it is real and then they have a big fight they have a big argument they are running away 
then there's a huge mass of people that turn up and it's a, this is very strange there's this thing trying to get through the door force its way through the door and lots of arms and the door I don't remember what it says now abruptly the door heaves forward and we see what's on the other side the hands and arms are not connected to separate beings they're stitched together into some impossible hydra-like thing arms threaded together into a single mass like so many snakes the air fills with a horrible wet tearing sound as it moves forward yeah what do you think about that at this bit, I was kind of going, what? Yeah, I mean, it, as you read that, it's quite scary. But if that was done badly, that would look ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, but that's what I, that's what I was saying before. Is if you were a special effects guy, you might look at that and think, watch out. Oh, juicy. If you were, if you were Stan Winston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not if you were someone who was like, oh, I've got, uh, I've got oh. a bit of jelly. Yeah. Let me put some arms in it. <laughs> And then, just when she's about to get got by the arm thing, she all of a sudden wakes up in the hospital bed. And now we're back. You know, film and script are the same. There's this scene with, well, Larry and Bud in the script, Mm -hmm. and Charles in the finished film, Mm -hmm. saying, are you all right? We found you in your apartment slash hotel room. Mm -hmm. Covered in, well, shit, it seems, (laughs) they imply. Covered in everything that comes out of a body are you okay, you've had a mental breakdown. And Amy basically says, that's the best news I've heard for mm. a long time. Because mm-hmm. she's, you know, it's not real. It's, so that's, she's really chuffed with that. And they leave her on her own. And now here it goes off again. It goes off on another tangent. And from now on, we'll just say from now on, there's nothing the same. Yes. R- pretty much. They're, they're, they go off on their own little stories. So let's just talk through briefly each one. The, the film, as you probably know... She wanders off into the hospital. She finds a little girl drawing. She draws her face as a sort of Cenobite face. And then she finds Marla in the hospital. And they have a chat about Deaders and about the box and how she had to open the box. And Winter wants her to open the box and all this stuff. And then she collapses while having a flashback about her dad. And then she wakes up in the Deader place. And they want her to kill herself, become a Deader. And then she doesn't. She throws the box, pinned, and the Cenobites turn up. Rip Winter apart. Kill all the Deaders. And then... Pinhead wants her to go with him. She kills herself, and then everything explodes. Yes. So that's as as you know. But just for those who you know have forgotten what happens at the end of the of the film, in the original script, you've got this scene in the hospital. Then they leave her on her own, and then the cracks start appearing in the hospital room, and she goes, "Uh oh, this mm. isn't good." Because she's in like light world yeah. here, isn't she? She's, she's in not the... bleeding. And so dark world, night world. Night world starts leaking in. in, it says, through the through the cracks. And she sees all this weird stuff as she looks out the window and, and looks above her and below her. And a doctor turns up and then it keeps sort of getting... This is, this is why I mentioned the Pirates of the Caribbean because the scene where, you know, when they walk into the beams of moonlight, they're skeletons. And this one, he, every time he moves into a beam of night world, mm. then you see his sort of a weird deader version of himself yeah until basically his face comes into the dark world and now here's where it gets very silly i think let me read what it says a band of darkness abruptly cuts across the lower part of the doctor's face the bland gentle face is suddenly replaced within the night lit world with a chinless gaping mouth lined with tiny baby shark teeth it speaks but this voice though wet and whispery we now hear clearly and then he's called the shark mouth in the script from then Mm. on and it turns out it's not actually the Doctor at all. This is Bobby. You mentioned earlier on that got lost. Bobby. Bobby. Shark thing, as he's, as he's called in the script. 
Yeah, I mean, he's got lost, hasn't he? Yeah, and he's, he's the same as Marla. Now he's saying that so. Marla's lost, and he starts asking Amy to be his guide. He says, find your way out, and I'll follow you. And she's like, I don't even know where I am. She hasn't got a clue what's going on. Mm. That's a nice line, that after she says, I don't even know where I am, Shark thing says, I don't even know that I am. And then there's all these horrible creatures, that the things, it says here, incomplete like human beings melted like plastic or in pieces, cut apart and glued back together. They're sort of chasing after and she's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, these are all the kind of people who've, I assume, have gone down Winter's path and just been lost. And gone too far. Yeah, yeah. Just, just not had the guts or the willpower to get to the end yeah, where he, he is. Exactly, exactly. And then Amy manages to get away by shouting, Bobby, Bobby knows, he knows what's going on, follow him. And they all go... Huh? <laughs> the oldest trick in the book. And then as they're looking at Bobby, she Bobby's escapes. like, I'm a shark. Like, what? what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I'm a shark mouth. And she hides in a closet. She thinks, this, I'll be fine in here. It's all right. I'm in a closet now. And then a white tiger leaps out of the darkness and grabs her, pins her up against the wall. And then it turns into Winter. And Winter has a nice little monologue here. And he's saying how she's misplaced her guide and she's got to do this and that to become a deader. Yeah, he's saying that basically he's created this whole thing of the night world mm. and all of this stuff, and she's wrecking it by sort yeah. of investigating it and not having a guide and so yeah. on and so forth. So You have to leave everything behind, he's saying. Yeah, so he's basically saying, I'm going to cut you some slack and do something to get you out of this, and then you've got to follow yeah. through to the end. And this is the moment where he says, to get where you're going, you have to leave everything behind, everything. She says, I know, even myself. And Winter says, maybe we'll be decent company after all. And so she's kind of decided she's going to become a deader at this point. Yeah. So, of course, she takes all her clothes off. <laughs> she gets completely naked. Mm. And then she wanders down the stairs into a morgue. She finds Marla's body, her dead body. She wakes her up. In the deader fashion. In the deader fashion, by kissing her. And then she says, you're my guide. Tell me what to do. We've got to do this. I'm not afraid. I've come to learn. And there is that whole fear is where you go to learn. Mm. And she says, I'm not afraid anymore. I've come to learn. So then Marla starts speaking. Amy repeats the whole, my skin isn't real. My eyes aren't real. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there are other people in the room. Carl, Sheila, some other people. Winter's there. They give her a massive gun. A massive gun. <laughs> well, yeah. The forty-five, the big gun in Marla's hand. Puts it in Amy's hand. And she shoots herself in the head, just like um, Sheila at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, we kind of... The way it's written is we don't... We see her on the verge of pulling the trigger. We see her pull the trigger, but we don't hear the explosion. We just cut to static. So we're still left yes. on the moment of So going, we don't know whether she, she did it or not. Did yeah, she do it? Right. Did she do it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then there's this one final scene, an epilogue moment, with Larry and Bud. So like there is in the film with Charles... It's a bit different, though. In the film version, it's just Charles looking at a news footage of this building exploded and then thinking, oh, Amy's gone. Then another girl turns up and says, oh, I've got this tape for you. And that's the end. Mm. In the script, you've got Larry and Bud, and Larry is basically saying, I'm quitting. I've had enough of this. This is, this is too much. Mm. I don't want to do this anymore. And Bud's like, yeah, whatever. Get out. It's fine. And then Amy's there. And then Bud's like, oh, there you are. Where have you been? And Amy's got dark glasses on and says... Don't be afraid of me. I'm not real. And Bud's like, what? And she takes off her glasses, and then there are simply holes stretching into the empty blackness of Amy's skull. 
And she says, I'm not real. And that's the end. Mm. So basically the end, Amy decides to turn herself into a deader, becomes a deader, and goes and visits Bud and says, all right. Mm. So yeah, you don't know what's going to happen after that. No, you get the sense that she's um, become, you know, like Winter, like she's quite powerful or something like that. Yeah, I guess well, so. she's certainly happy anyway. Yeah, she seems happy. Yeah. She's got no eyes. No. <laughs> but then Buttle's got no eyes and he seems happy. Yeah, he's, he's always licking his lips. Yeah, exactly. So, there we go. That's a talk through the differences. So what do you think, then, Phil, of this original screenplay? I like it. I think it's good. I think it's a bit... Um, I'd like to know why it was written. Yeah. Um, because it's a it's a fine and interesting sort of detective story. Mm-hmm. Um, but you sense that there's something else that was where did it come from you know yeah I mean, this whole thing to... of the deaders and stuff like that you're like yeah it's, it's explored sort of reasonably well but um, if that we want to interview the writer see if we can get hold of him mm. and ask him about it yeah no it's interesting yeah I like it too mm. I think there are obviously some special effects moments that couldn't have been done well on the budget that the film would have been given but luckily they were taken out in the Hellraiser version I do. I know what you mean about how the Hellraiser stuff does feel like it's jammed in, and there are moments when it's a there's a little too much going on. There are two f- kind of full mythologies mm. that they're trying to blend together to make one film. And as much as you can talk about it after the film is finished, and you can make sense of it, and it does make sense when you watch the film, it's a little confusing for those who haven't ever seen the film before and don't know anything about it. You do watch it for the first time, thinking. What? Hang on. You're and you're what? And who's that? And what are they doing? What do they want? Mm. Um, but once you think about it and talk about it, then I think it makes perfect sense. It does make sense, but I think it could be have been more exciting if um, Pinhead yeah. and Winter had been a bit more straightforward. Oh yes, I agree with what they were saying. I agree with Kept, that. Keep the film the film exactly the same, but they just less talk about doors and more about. <laughs> What was going on, and what more about what they want? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And therefore, if there was a big, a bit more of a big fight at the end, that would have been nice. That would have been lovely, but that's which was written a bit more in the original Hellraiser Deader script. There's a bit more about the the Cenobites, you know, going down a line of Deaders who are all attached together through a big chain and sort of sewing them together and filleting yeah. them, and yeah. that would have been nice. It would have been good. I all. guess they just ran out of money. Money. Money, money, money. So in the film, you just see the other Cenobites very briefly in the background, not doing anything. Mm. Maybe they shouldn't have spent money on making the Spike Cenobite. Spike. Oh, bless him. Poor old Spike. Where's he? Where's he when you need him? Mm. So yes, in general, I think that's a definitely a worth reading if you, if you were a fan of reading screenplays, or if you want to find out what this film could have been, had it not been a Hellraiser film. It'd be interesting to chat to the, the writer about it and find out what exactly his plan was. And like you said, as was he planning to make this into a whole new mythology slash franchise? Which I mm. guess it could have been. It could have been, certainly. Um, but yeah, just as an offbeat story. Yeah. Uh, and as we said in our Deader podcast, you know, I, I really like the Hellraiser Deader film. I do as so well. So my criticisms are not of the film, but when you look no, at it this no. way, you go, oh yeah... Yeah, but I mean, really, today we've just been talking about the story. Absolutely, yeah. Whereas um, yeah. things that we like about the film are, are to do with how it looks, how it's filmed, and how and the performances are brilliant as well. So I mean, now all, all that adds a load to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you can forgive some of the little flaws because the film's so enjoyable. It's really good fun. I really like watching it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there we are. Marvellous. Well, I think that about wraps up our chat about the Hellraiser Deader slash Deader stories. Um, next podcast, we're going to hopefully try something a bit different and do a location podcast. Because we're going to see Nightbreed the Cabal Cut. Yeah. The new version of Nightbreed with Clive Barker's scenes that were filmed but cut out by the studio put back in. And we're going to see that in the film for Fright Fest. And hopefully going to have a bit of a chat with people afterwards. We're hoping to have a little chat with any of the stars or the people involved in the creative process who are there. But also any of you chaps who are listening, if anyone's going, then do have a chat with us afterwards if you can find us. We'll be the ones recording into a little device (laughs) in the corner. Um, Have a chat with us. We want to just have a chat with the, the fans and see what they thought of it as well. Yeah. So that will be episode 24 then after that is our 25th episode and we're going to have that out on the 25th anniversary of the movie we've got a couple of little little things planned for that which i won't tell you now but that will be a just a celebration of hellraiser there's 25 years since the first film was released and it's still as amazing today as it was back then so we're going to celebrate it in all its glory for the 25th anniversary in our 25th podcast hurrah hurrah indeed in the meantime, don't forget we've got our Facebook page, so you can like us on that, and we can have a chat with you through that. We've got a Twitter account, at HellraiserCast. We've got a website, HellraiserPodcast.com. And if you've got any feedback for us, and we want to get that in now, you know, we're asking for your feedback so we can do a, some more feedback chat on the 25th anniversary episode, then send it to us at HellraiserPodcast at Hotmail.co.uk. And also join us on the forum as well, at the Hellbound Web Forum. Mm, yeah, keep your comments coming in because it really motivates us to uh, continue. Oh, it's great to continue have, a chat, along. have a chat about things and, and see what you guys think of all the things we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. In the meantime, thanks again for listening. Thanks, Phil. Thank you, Peter. And we'll see you very shortly. Take care.